0: All right, so now that you have found uh, the 13th chapter of Acts, right? we're in the second part of it. Now remember that now um, the scene shifts a little bit in the 13th chapter, that now uh, Saul becomes known as Paul. He becomes the primary uh, shaliach, the uh, primary messenger uh, who goes out and he goes out with Barnabas here, and he goes out with another guy named John, uh, also known as Mark, uh, and uh, they lead a, uh, a Roman magistrate to the Lord, and John, Mark can't take it. He goes back to Jerusalem, uh, and, uh, and now uh, Paul becomes the main speaker for the rest of the book of Acts, uh, and uh, we read here. In uh, chapter 13, uh, going back here to uh, verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions, isn't it amazing? It was Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and his companions, you know? There you go. Uh, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Right. But going going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. Now, this is all uh, on the island of Cyprus. This is all taking place on the island of Cyprus, right? Okay. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on Shabbat, they went into the synagogue uh, and sat down. And after the reading of the Torah... Basically, it's an after the reading of the the Torah and the Haftorah, Torah, right? Uh, the synagogue officials said to them, sent to them, brethren. If you any have any word of exhortation for the people, say it, right? Uh, and uh, uh, this was the custom. Kind of doesn't it remind you a little bit of Yeshua in Nazareth? You know, he goes in the synagogue and uh, and then he gets up to to read here. They read the Torah and the Haftorah, like like we're reading the Torah and the Haftorah. Uh, well, not exactly the same way. I don't want to give that impression. But similarly, we'll say similarly, they read the, the, a portion from the Torah and the prophets. Uh, and then, as was the custom, there's a visitor. Do you have a word for us? You know, uh, many years ago, uh, I uh, had the opportunity to uh, go to uh, Russia, to go to Moscow. And I was teaching a group of Messianic leaders from all over Russia uh, about uh, congregational development, like growing a congregation, different aspects of growing and leading a congregation, planting and leading a congregation. Uh, And so there was uh, a man there who led a uh, fellowship from a place called uh, Vadovlastok. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, That is on the other end of the other end of Russia. In fact, he was a lot closer to Korea than he was to, uh, you know, <laughs> to Moscow. And he he flew to uh, Moscow, and you know, just to, just to uh, tell you how big uh, that country is, he said it was an eight-hour flight all over land. <laughs> you know, pretty interesting. Anyway, so uh, he, his testimony uh, of uh, being a believer was this: I, a friend of mine by the name of Kareel, who lives in Moscow was traveling around and he went to Vladivostok and he was—he went to the local synagogue. And sure enough, after the Torah reading and after the Haftorah reading, they saw that he was visiting. After all, that the Jewish population was not that large, you know, and he kind of stood out like a sore thumb, you know, uh, and they asked him to get up. And uh, if he had something to say, he got up and he like shared the good news of Yeshua, uh, you know, in this uh, congregation. So they were, uh, you know, they were nice about it and everything, but uh, it was kind of an awkward moment, you might say. Uh, so he's still in the in the the town a few days later, and he gets a phone call from the president of the shul, from the uh, the person who was sort of like uh, the uh, not the rabbi, but you might say the head shamus, you might say. Uh, of the congregation. And he says to my friend, Kareel, he says, I'd like to meet up with you. uh, And uh, I want to hear more about what you were saying. And so lo and behold, they meet up and this man comes to know Messiah, comes to embrace the Lord. And now he leads, he started and leads a little messianic uh, fellowship. So if you happen to be visiting that area, uh, you'll know where to go. So it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, of, uh, of this uh, passage right here. We could say you never know when you're going to have an opportunity. You know, uh, if I had more time, I'd tell you about another opportunity that I had once in, of all places, a, a synagogue in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, uh, having a sort of a similar experience. Uh, up there back in the early 1980s, I was up there. But that's another story. I'll save that for another day. Uh, uh, but here uh, in um, uh, Acts chapter 13, so here they're, they're in the synagogue. So here we see, you know, they, they go to this synagogue in, in every city that they, that they go to. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. So that means this was no small thing. This was not like, uh, oh, hi, my name's Paul, I'm from Tarsus, and uh, I'm here visiting or something. You know what I mean? He gets up like, okay, now is uh, the opportunity, right? So he stood up uh, and motioning with his hand. You know, he had the spiritual gift of chutzpah, you know that, right? Okay. Uh, He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, men of Israel and you who fear God. So he's in the synagogue and he's talking to Jews and God-fearers. You know, uh, sort of, uh, you might say, uh, uh, Gentiles who had one foot in the synagogue and uh, one foot out of the synagogue, you know? But they were there and, uh, and uh, perhaps identifying with the message and that, that kind of thing. So now uh, he begins to speak. Now, you know, all of the speeches and acts are significant. They're all, every one of them is significant. You know, I taught an MSI course a few years ago on the speeches and acts. And I actually couldn't even cover all of them. Uh, But but this one is certainly very significant. Why is it significant? Because we know that Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles, right? Uh, And many of us, when you think about the speeches of Paul in Acts, actually, this one doesn't always come to mind. Usually, it's chapter 17. When uh, he is in Athens and he's speaking to Gentiles. And then the defense speeches of Paul in chapter 23, 24, 25, and 26, right? But what's interesting here is he's speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. Uh, And one of the great lessons, one of the great lessons of reading through the book of Acts is that there is no one way to present the message of Yeshua. Uh, And so, this when on your own, a good exercise would be to read this speech here in Acts chapter 13, and then read chapter 17, and compare the two. Uh, It's two different audiences, and he shares the message in two different ways. He doesn't hand out a little pamphlet, you know, with uh, four uh, little spiritual laws on it, or uh, you know, a gospel tract and you know, no. He tailors the message to the people who he's speaking to because he's really speaking to people. It's not just a speech that he memorized and that's the message that I give to whoever will listen, but he's really communicating with a real audience. Uh, and so this is a Jewish audience, and he's going to quote scripture. You know, obviously, you know, in in some ways it's kind of like Peter's uh, earlier speeches. Uh, but yet uh, a little different, as we'll see. All right, so he says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Don't you just love that? I love that verse. He put up with them, you know, in, in the wilderness. Uh, You know, to use the anthropomorphic uh, terms, you know, they might have been a real headache, you you know, Uh, but God uh, uh, put up with them. Uh, That's great. Uh, And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. That by is three or four different passages kind of all put together there, right there. Uh, From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, uh, Yeshua. So, you know, it's kind of interesting uh, what, what he does here. Okay, so what he does, he gives a little bit of, of history. He places the coming of Yeshua in the context of Jewish history. Yeshua did not sort of drop in, you know, out of nowhere. I, and that I, is, uh, you know, very important for us to get that the coming of the Messiah was in the context of Jewish history. His continued ministry is still in the context of Jewish history. uh, And his return will also be in the context of Jewish history. We can call it messianic Jewish history, but it is indeed Jewish history. And that is what he does. Now, what he focuses on, he doesn't... He doesn't start, you know, with the first uh, chapter of Genesis and then, uh, you know, tell every single... He doesn't tell the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know, and Isaac and Rebekah, uh, you know, and uh, Jacob and Rachel and Leah and the 12 sons and then what happened. And the, 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 No, he just hits the highlights. He's making a point and he just hits the highlights here. He focuses on Egypt, the wilderness, the land... Prophets, kings, and Yeshua. That's what he said, you know? God, and, but he starts in Egypt. That's kind of interesting. And that is where the national history kind of begins. But he begins with the deliverance out of Egypt. Uh, and, and so that, that, is, uh, that is kind of interesting. The other thing we notice in these verses is that uh, it is the work of God that is uh, central. Uh, that God did this, God did this. You know, God redeemed us out of Egypt. God took care of us in Egypt. He put up with us in the wilderness. He gave us the land. He provided a, a Samuel. He raised up uh, the kings. He sent uh, Yeshua. And so the place of God in all of this is, uh, is really prominent. The other thing we notice is that after he gets to David, he jumps right to Yeshua right? Uh, and, uh, and that's because he's succinctly giving the history uh, and that God had made uh, this promise to David. Uh, and, you know, we read about it in Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 7. We read in Second Samuel chapter 7 that uh, God says uh, to uh, David, when your days are complete, in verse 12, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up. Notice it says, I will raise up. Got to kind of just keep that little phrase in the back of your mind there. I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my chesed, my loving kindness, shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, if you jump down to verse 18, David responds to it. David responds to this promise. And he says... Uh, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? Yet And yet this was insignificant in thine eyes, O Lord God. In other words, I'm totally unworthy. You know, but that was insignificant in your eyes. Again, this has to do with election, just like the calling of Jacob, you know, okay? I, uh, he says, for thou hast spoken also of the house of thy servant concerning the distant future and this is the torah adam the torah of mankind isn't that interesting uh, oh lord a uh, god uh, and so david understood the import of this great promise what's interesting is that when you read about this very same promise later in first chronicles chapter 17 uh, where it says your kingdom your kingdom Then it says, my kingdom, my kingdom, God's kingdom. The kingdom of David is understood to be the kingdom of God. And God makes this great promise. And that's why we read here in verse 23, back in Acts chapter 13, from the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Yeshua. And, uh, you know, that word promise is uh, actually a very important word. In our world, we like to use, when we talk about something that was said beforehand and then fulfilled, we usually don't call it a promise. We call it a prophecy. We use that terminology, prophecy. But, you know, that term is not used that often in that context in the Brit Hadashah, scriptures. The word promise is used... Almost all the time, you know, and I—it really says something. A promise is personal. A promise is, you know, I—I'm uh, going to do this because of who I am. Uh, you know, uh, I always—you maybe have you heard me uh, say this before. Uh, you know, when, when my kids were little, uh, you, you know, they had uh, sports activities and gymnastics and everything, and and uh, and uh, you know my kids uh, would be told, now I'll be here at 6 o'clock to pick you up, right? Now, was I saying this as a a prophetic statement or a promise? You know, I I am uh, prophesying that I will be here at 6 p.m. Or was I saying, you know, I'm your dad. I'll be here at 6 o'clock. That's what I was saying. And when we read the word promise here, epangalia in Greek, I uh, that God is this is like from God's God's word is true. Not only is it truthful, but he's true blue. You know what I mean? His word comes to pass. Uh and so the word promise is a very, very important word here. Uh and I have it uh here and in a number of different places uh where we where we read it. There's a lot of places where we read it, but uh, you know, in Acts chapter 2, for the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Uh, we, read, uh, uh, we read it later on here in uh, Acts. Uh, you, read, uh, you read this word, okay? Uh, and it means promise, pledge, offer of assurance. You read it over and over again. Uh, the word promise. Uh, uh, Paul uses it later on in his defense uh, in in chapter 23, 24, and 25, and 26, the promise of the fathers, the promise of the fathers. Uh, And so that word promise is very prominent here. Okay? Uh, From uh, the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a deliverer, uh, Yeshua. And then, interestingly enough, He says in verse 24 and 25, after John had proclaimed before his coming an immersion of repentance to all the people of Israel. He places John, Yohanan, John, the Immerser, uh, as you might say in the last of the prophets. And he places him here as, you know, before Yeshua became known to the people, there was John preaching this immersion of repentance. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Uh, And so uh, he includes John. John's kind of like the bridge, you know, uh, from the prophets to Yeshua. Uh, And we certainly read that in the Gospels. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you you who fear God. So he he is reiterating, uh, he's making another point now. And uh, just as he said, men of Israel uh, earlier, men of Israel and those who fear God, now he says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God. To us, the word of this uh, salvation is sent out. I, uh, this is very reflective of a lot of what he says in his letters. Uh, he said, you know, uh, uh, he says in uh, in another place, uh, in Second Corinthians, uh, he talks about, or First Corinthians chapter 10, he talks about the wilderness. Uh, and then he says, uh, the, the end of the ages have come upon us. In other words, Uh, what he's saying is all those things that were written, those promises that were written, have now come to us. That this is the age of the fulfillment of the promise. Okay? Uh, And so that's what he means when he says, uh, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. And you know, we could say that also. That we are the recipients of the promise. That in ages past, as, you know, as uh, Peter says uh, uh, in another place, he says, you know, the prophets longed to see what you see today. And, and that is what Paul is really saying to these people in Pisidian Antioch. You know, that, that the prophets longed to see what you have. Even John, even John the Immerser, longed to see what you have today. Like, you know, the, 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 the finished work of Messiah, his death, resurrection, and the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. And we fall into that category. We could say to all of us in 2020 that the, the prophets longed to see what we have today. So, you know, when we talk about Thanksgiving, uh, we have so much to be thankful for when it comes to the, you know, the profound and important things, right? Very, very important. Okay. Uh, Then we read here, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Shabbat, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. So he gives the historical information uh, of the coming of Yeshua. Uh, and uh, he describes not only uh, the fact that he's the promised one, you know, but that okay he came, and of course the prophets talked about the fact that he would be rejected and misunderstood in Isaiah fifty-three. Right? We're familiar with all of that, and and he says by the fact that Yeshua coming and him being rejected, that shows you that they this is part of the promise that that had to happen for the promise, indeed, to be true. That's what it means I, when, when he says here, I, you know, I, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor his utterances of the prophets, who are read every step, fulfilled these by condemning him. Right? Okay. And then he describes historically how it happened. He describes historically how the method of Yeshua's death, his crucifixion. And then, very importantly, he describes historically the fact that Yeshua rose from the dead and that there were witnesses with them to that day that that had physically seen the risen Messiah. And so everything that Paul is saying about Yeshua is based on historical truths. So important for us to understand that and helpful for us, perhaps, in how we communicate the good news. Now, now beginning in verse 32, now he's going to interpret these historical truths. He's, he mentions the historical truths, he says them as history. Now he says in verse 32 and we preach to you good news of the promise made to the fathers good news of the promise made to the fathers that god has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up yeshua as it is also written in the second psalm thou art my son today i have begotten thee okay remember back in second samuel chapter 7 The promise that God made to David is that God would raise up his descendant. Now, in the immediate, he was talking about Solomon. But he was referring to all of the kings culminating in the Messianic king. He raised up the Messianic king. This is good news for us, right? Our Messianic king uh, has come to deliver us. Uh, Now, we have to understand what kind of deliverance uh, it is. Now, in the second Psalm, there, in in Psalm 2, of course, and this is something that um, Peter uh, also uh, uh, talked about, you know, in Psalm 2, you have uh, the nations are in an uproar. Uh, The the peoples of the earth are devising ways to do away with God's people, right? And it says in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them, He will speak to them in anger and sternly say to them, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I shall surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. And so here Paul is saying that all of these promises of the messianic king coming, we are living in the days that he now has come and reigns. Okay, now he says in verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, see notice, first he raised him up, he raised him up as king. And now he speaks, he uses the term raises him up to speak of his resurrection. But as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. Now, what's interesting is what he quotes here. He does not quote Psalm 16 yet. He's going to do that in a second. But he doesn't do that here. Here he says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, which is Psalm 16, I will not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. What's interesting is that when he talks about Yeshua being raised up from the dead and he's the Messianic king, He quotes from Isaiah chapter 55. Chapter 55. Now, Isaiah 55 has a particular context that's very important to us here. You know Isaiah 53. We are all familiar with Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. Well, chapter 4 and 55 is the good news after the resurrection of the suffering servant. After the suffering servant takes our sins upon him, And he sees his offspring, you know, he'll be raised from the dead as the, and he's like the trespass offering, and that is in his death, taking upon himself our sins, our guilt, our shame, and he's raised from the dead. Chapter 54 and 55 is about new life and new birth and new hope. And very, you know, for the sake of time, I don't, I can't read the whole thing, but, but in chapter 55, he says this, ho, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. And then it says, right after that, incline your ear... Uh, And come to me, listen, that you may live. Abundance, live, satisfaction, right? Then he says, listen, that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. That is what he quotes. He's quoting it from the Septuagint, from the Greek translation, so it's not exactly like it is in Hebrew. He he says here back in Acts, um, he says uh, I will. Uh, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Okay, but he's referring here to the chesed, the faithful mercies shown to David. And so what he's saying is, as a result of Yeshua being raised up from the dead. The good news is you can have satisfaction. You can have abundance. You can be satiated in the Lord. See? It's a, and now what I'm going to say, it's gonna sound gonna sound a little strange a little bit. It is a metaphysical experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, think about the days in which. Uh, Paul lived, and in in the first century, there was a lot of things to fear when Paul gave this message in Pisidian Antioch, there, on the island of Cyprus. Uh, he, you know, there was a lot to fear. The Jewish community had a lot to fear. The Romans were, uh, you know, were certainly in control, and yet he has the audacity to call this good news. Why? Because now. He's saying that in in the Messiah, in the risen Messiah, now you are able to be released from the ball and chain of sin and of uh, shame and of guilt and recognize that now, even though you may not see him, you know him. Uh, And that is the messianic king. And he's given us a trajectory of life forever uh, in him, above and beyond uh, all of our circumstances. And so it's very interesting that that's what he says that's what he says here. You know, and for the fact that he raised them up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, "I will give you the holy and, and, and sure blessings of David." Uh, And so we become the recipients of that, and that's what he is saying. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of feelings and all of that, we have been released from this bondage. And then he says, therefore, he says in another psalm, "Thou will not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. Kind of like what Peter says earlier on. That it's not talking about David there. It's talking about the the ultimate descendant of David. The one through whom the promise is given. Okay? But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, uh, from uh, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now, quickly, what is he saying here? Uh, he is saying now, as a result of the resurrection of Yeshua, as a result of the kingship of Yeshua, you have this now abundant life. Why? Because it is as a result of the resurrection of Yeshua that now you have the forgiveness of your sins. It is through him that we have forgiveness of sins. The relationship of Yeshua's kingship and his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins all go, all go together. And through him, everyone who believes is free now what's interesting is that the word it really if we were to say this literally it would be get is justified you know and through him everyone who believes is justified from all things uh, from which you could not be justified through the law of moses very quickly what he what he is saying here is that now because of the resurrection of messiah this is good news because you see you are unshackled from the bondage of sin and guilt, uh, and now you are empowered. You are empowered to, uh, uh, to serve uh, the Lord in fullness. You are empowered to fulfill your calling as Israel, as men or as women, as people of God, uh, and that uh, no longer are we chained to the situation, one might say, in this world. You know, uh, I uh, watched a movie the other night, and in this movie, uh, a man was in a prison cell uh, for a crime that he did not, uh, he did not commit. And his uh, torturer, you know, was uh, standing there, uh, you know, hitting him and doing things, and, and the man who was, being, uh, who was in prison, he said, you know, I am more free in this prison cell right now than you will ever be, and, uh, and that was really uh, you know quite a statement to make, and so the fact is it is not based on current events or situations or anything like that, but a knowledge from the inside of, of that I have been redeemed, I have been forgiven, I, I have been uh, released, I, I'm no longer going to be judged, but I have a clean slate before God over and over again. That that brings empowerment uh, and satisfaction in life. I am no longer alienated from God. I'm no longer. Al- I know who I am, uh, and I know why I'm here, and I know what my future is. That is indeed empowering. When he says here. It's more powerful than the Torah. Uh, you're freed from things that you could never be freed from from the law of Moses. He's referring to it simply as a law. Uh, indeed, as a law that Moses gave to Israel. Live this way. Uh, and what the law provides, the law provides like a fence, you know, so, so that we might stay in the right pasture, you know. But... What Yeshua did is the law, the Torah, grace and truth, as we read in John chapter 1, is realized in Yeshua. And so that when we embrace Yeshua, now we experience this empowerment. And that is what the prophets looked forward to. So that now, because of the coming of the the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, now we, we can live. We can live. We can live an abundant life. We can live a satisfying life. What we often try to do is, sadly, what it says in Isaiah 55 is, why do you try to uh, you know, buy what you already have? Uh, and, and in other words, try to find it some other way. Also like what Jeremiah says, why are you building cisterns that can hold no water? You know? Uh, come to know God, and that's so. That is what He is saying here. Then He says, "Take heed, therefore, so that the things spoken of in the prophets does not come upon you." And then He quotes this passage: "Behold, you scoffers, uh, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you." And so He's saying to these people. Don't reject this message. If you reject the message, only judgment will come. There'll be n- you will not experience any of this uh, unless you embrace the message. And you see, that is a word to this day. We live in a day when the norm is for people to reject the message of God. The norm is to reject the message of God. It really doesn't matter what people group or, or, or whoever we're talking about. That's the norm. When we look uh, and see all the things happening in our our world, they're happening because God has been rejected. And that mankind looks for a better way, a better way than God. And as a result, there's chaos. As a result, there's sin, death, destruction, right? Yeshua is the better way. Uh, And so indeed, uh, this is the good news. That Paul is talking about. He's saying, don't reject it. Don't reject life. As Moses says, I've given you today life and death, a blessing and a curse. Why do people choose death and the curse rather than life, you know, and blessing uh, in Messiah? And that is what the good news is. And that is what he is saying to them. And so for us today, Uh, This probably has been more of a reminder than anything else uh, of this good news, and that we are indeed the recipients of it, and that it is not always uh, manifested in a physical deliverance. It can be, and sometimes it is, but it is an invisible or meta physical deliverance that we have in the Messiah. You know, it is a gift. To be convicted of the and know that we're in bondage so that we can repent and be redeemed. The sadness is is that the world is in this bondage and doesn't realize it and just lives in the bondage and tries to make the bondage a better place, you know, rather than to be redeemed and released from it. I, very important for us to understand in our day. Because, you see, we have so much to be thankful for. It's not just what we see or what I have or I don't have, but it's who I am in the promise of God. And, and let me just close by saying this. God is always the fulfiller of his promises. Yes, in ages past, he promised a king who would be a priest. A king who would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is who Yeshua is. He is the king, he rules us, he protects us, he gives us a trajectory of life, he gives us a way of life, but as the priest, he forgives our sins. He himself forgives our sins and gives us new life uh, in himself. He guides us, he he dwells within us, we're never uh, alone or forsaken, That is what he has promised us, the sure mercies of David. Think about David when David was, you know, running away from Saul, right? Uh, God was with him uh, and brought him to his calling. And indeed, God will do that in our lives as well. And you know what? His promise of the Messiah sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, that's going to happen too in his time. In his time. And so that keeps us going, that keeps us staying above the fray, regardless of what we see and what's going on. uh, This is our vision, this is our mission, this is indeed our calling, and it never changes. And so here is Paul's message to these folks uh, in this synagogue uh, in Pisidian uh, Antioch. May we be able to deliver this message to our people indeed today. Because that message is still the same 20 centuries later. And now, next week, or in a couple of weeks, we'll see the rest of the story. How the message is received and what happens after that. So, let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you uh, for this uh, great um, reminder to us. This message of, uh, of Paul that he gives in this synagogue. Thank you, Lord, that, that uh, Yeshua has come. Uh, in the context of our history of, in the context of Jewish history, our king has come. And uh, Lord, may we always remember that everything that we do and the way we live as Messiah followers also, therefore, is in the context of Messianic Jewish history. And we thank you that indeed Yeshua is our king, uh, and he is indeed our priest. He guides us, He leads us, protects us but he also forgives us. Lord, may we live in that forgiveness. May we be empowered by it. And thank you that you have placed the Torah within us. And now in Messiah Yeshua, the word is realized. And may we live that way. And may the world see it and desire it, Lord. May we truly be lights in the midst of of darkness, Lord. May we be able to give this message indeed to our people who need it so much. We pray in Messiah's name.